Your Story with Melinda Estabrooks, an exclusive presentation of Faith Strong Today. Listen for new episodes every Monday and subscribe to the podcast at faithstrongtoday.com. Our stories have the power to connect us, to inspire us, and give us courage. On Your Story with Melinda, your story matters. And welcome back to another show on Your Story with Melinda. And this show is going to be one that's a little different than most shows. This one's a little bit more serious, but it's going to be one that I know is going to tug at your heart. We're going to learn a lot. My guest today is Les Sillers. He is a journalist for over 20 years. He has written for World Magazine, The Weekly Standard, The National Post, Touchstone Magazine. He's a journalism professor at Patrick Henry College in Virginia and holds graduate degrees in Old Testament studies and journalism. And you can see that I'm holding up his latest book called Intended for Evil, A Survivor's Story of Love, Faith, and Courage in the Cambodian Killing Fields. And I so appreciate his book on this story. Also with me, I have my good friend, Karen Peterson. She is the vice president of global learning for the Field Collaborative. And you can find out all about what she does at thefieldcollaborative.com. She's been to Cambodia nine times in the past 10 years, training women in leadership development. And in that, that's a huge, huge thing that she's doing with her team. So welcome both of you to the show, Les and Karen. Let's kick this off because there's a lot to this story that you've written, Les, and I know that there's a lot that we can learn from for people that are listening, watching all over the world about the Cambodian killing fields, about the Khmer Rouge, uh, lots for us to learn. But I know that Karen has a question because I know Cambodia is is really close to your heart, Karen. It is. It is. And uh, having been there, I recognize a lot of the backstory of what happened there, but it'll be great for you to kind of fill in the people who are listening. Mm-hmm. But anyway, let's just, just kick it off. I would love to know how did you meet Radha, and then what inspired you to tell his story? Mm-hmm. It's a really unique story, but what, what inspired you to tell his story? Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, well, uh, a colleague of mine here at the uh, college, uh, his name is David Aikman. Uh, he was a, a longtime correspondent for Time magazine. Uh, he'd, uh, he'd, he'd reported from Asia and Europe and the Middle East. And uh, through, a mutu- through a mutual acquaintance, he had um, heard about this guy named Rada who had these incredible stories about the Khmer Rouge. And so we're standing talking in the, in the hall one day, and he said to me, yeah, this Rada, you know, he wants somebody to write down his stories. Uh, you should give him a call. And I didn't, I didn't know anything about the Khmer Rouge. Like, all I knew about them was a hazy recollection that I'd had uh, from watching the killing fields when I was in high school. And so I had no idea what I was getting into. Uh, but I gave him a call, uh, and he was telling me just these incredible stories about the things, the horrible things that he had seen, uh, the life that he'd endured in the cooperatives, uh, and, I, and I, uh, about his forced marriage. And I'm thinking, wow, this is, this is kind of amazing. Um, I didn't have time to deal with him right then. This is in the fall of 2013. Uh, but I said I would do some reading, and I and I would and I would call him back. And so I started to read, and uh, I was just both kind of horrified and fascinated by what I discovered about the Khmer Rouge. I mean, they're largely forgotten today, uh, but they were easily one of the most totalitarian regimes in modern history, if not the most totalitarian regime. Uh, they had they had killed uh, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, they had uh, it had led to untold misery. Uh, and I was, and and they had this really remarkable um, 
idea of what it takes uh, to build a perfect society. Okay, so uh, let's so talk to me about this because for a lot of people, we are, you know, we're consumed with, you know, recent younger people like Syria. Some of us remember, you know, atrocities of the Vietnam War. We remember the Tutsis and the Hutus in Rwanda. in Rwanda. So there, some of us recollect and remember that. But I would say many people have no idea what happened in Cambodia in the 1970s. Like nobody, like Khmer Rouge, what are you talking about? What do you, what, the Killing Fields, it was at a movie. Like talk to us about that. Like ha- what happened then? Like give us some historical context of, of what happened and why. Absolutely. In the early uh, 1970s, there was a civil war in Cambodia. And on the one side, there was the U.S.-backed Khmer Republic. Uh, and that had, uh, you know, and, and it, was, it, was a, it was indirectly involved in the Vietnam War. And on the other side were the Khmer Rouge fighters. They were they were a communist guerrilla group. They were they were out in the jungles and they were backed by the communist Vietnamese. And so there was this five-year civil war that went on between 70 and 75. And in 1975, on April 17th, uh, the Khmer Rouge marched into Phnom Penh. They won. And in fact, they took Phnom Penh two weeks prior to the fall of a South, Viet- uh, South Vietnamese uh, to the North Vietnamese. And at that time, it was uh, they, they, the leader... Pol Pot uh, had a vision for the society that he wanted to create. He wanted to create a perfectly pure communist society and perfectly Khmer communist society. And he immediately set about uh, trying to implement this program. Uh, he, he emptied the cities. He emptied them at gunpoint. He forced everybody into the countryside where people were set to work um, uh, uh, digging roads, digging canals, uh, growing rice by hand. Uh, and, and it just set off a, a almost a four-year regime of just really remarkable misery. I mean, he was, he was planning to turn the country into kind of a communist utopia, a, a communist agrarian utopia. Uh, but he, and, but he, he really he turned the country into one big labor, uh, one big labor camp. You know, he wow. cut off communication with the outside world, and he, and he forced people to live in these communes. Uh, he, he told them how they would live, how they would dress, when they would eat, sleep, work who they would marry, everything. It was just simply astonishing. And took children away from their parents. That was, that was one of the big wow. things was they took the, they separated the, they broke up the family. Children so what's away. the purpose of this, ridiculous. right? Yeah, so you've got control, but what was the purpose? Was he trying to, to make a new society or what was, what was the purpose of all of this? He absolutely was trying to create a completely new society. Uh, he had a vision for what he called the new socialist man. It was somebody that had no trace of individualism left at all. He was trying to create a society where everybody worked for the good of the collective. And they, and they had this vision, and they, some of them really did believe that if they came up with this society, if they managed to create this new socialist man, that they would have a society where everybody was, everybody was equal, everybody was well-fed, everybody was looked after. You know, it was going to be this wonderful place. Uh, but in reality, of course, it was a horrible, horrible place. Uh, it, it led to disaster uh, almost immediately, and it went downhill from there. Um, so, yeah, it was, uh, he, he had a vision, uh, and it just it didn't work, and it was never going to work. One of the really key things that, that he did was, um, unless you can comment on this too from your research, but they first started by killing all the educated people. So if anybody spoke a foreign language, they were killed. Even if people wore uh, glasses, it meant they could read, so they were killed. And they burned the books and the library. Anything that was connected to anything foreign was burned, which, of course, impacted 
the Christians and the church, and we'll probably get into that wow. along the way. Yeah, it was it was really and now there is a there's a bit of a misconception that the Khmer Rouge were anti-education, and they weren't exactly. They had a four-year plan that called for schools to be built and everybody to be educated. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't that they were anti-education per se. It, it was that they were anti anything that had the slightest hint of Western individual. Uh, yeah. So this is why all the books were burned, uh, and and anybody who had been educated had been educated under the old way, right? Yeah. It was it was under the old corrupt society and so they had to be gotten rid of yeah. they were considered uh, the, uh, the well there was the old people and the new people we won't get into that uh, now um, but uh, but they really did try and try and destroy everything about the old society yeah. and replace it with their new society so, so let's talk about this so we, we thank you for giving us sort of the the context of it and, and then you come in and write this book right mm-hmm. about Rada in and amongst all of this you sort of honed in on one particular man, person, in his story. Don't give it all away because I want everybody to run out and buy your book, okay? So I don't, I don't want you to give me all, you know, don't, don't give me all the, 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 the meat sure. of it. But tell me why the story. Give me a little tease of sort of the, the gist of, of him, and then I want to kind of talk about how, how the story has changed you. But Rada, Rada's story and why his. I mean, there's probably a number of people you could have interviewed and then written a book about, but, but for some reason it was Rada. And, and why is that? Uh, well, there's a, there's a practical reason in that Rada was the guy that I knew, and I, and I, and yeah. I met him through, through David Aikman, yeah. and he started telling me the story. R- Rada's story is unusual in that he was a Christian uh, when the Khmer Rouge took over. Uh, he'd, he'd grown up in a Hindu family. Uh, he's actually ethnically Indian. He's part of a small minority in Cambodia, but he was born in Cambodia. And he became a Christian in uh, 1973, two years before the fall of Phnom Penh. And so he, he, he had this really unusual perspective of watching all of this happen, but also having at the same time this feeling that God was in control, you know, that, that God knew what was going on. And uh, throughout the story, he, he endures some really horrible, horrible things. Uh, he loses uh, most of his family, uh, are, are killed, they die of starvation or disease, and one is beaten to death. Um, but, and and he, he becomes at times, I think, very angry. Uh, at, at God, he's often feels like he's arguing with God. He doesn't uh, he doesn't really understand why this could happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what he did have, though, is a belief that God was in control, and uh, it gave him hope. You know, he he knew that there was a God, and he didn't ever doubt that there was a God. Uh, he was angry, he was frustrated, uh, but through it all, he could survive because he he had that hope that he wasn't there entirely alone. And so that's what uh, when I was as I was you know talking to Rada and uh, working on this story, um, I, I could really identify with him in the sense that I would have been angry too. You know, I would have been shocked, I would have been horrified, I would have been frustrated. Uh, all of those emotions that, that anybody would have felt going through all of those things, Rada felt all those things. And, and, I, and, he's, and he said once, you know, he didn't, he didn't feel that his, that his faith kept him strong because he didn't feel strong. Huh. But at the same time, he he persevered. He kept on going because, you know, he, he had, I think, at, at root this faith that God was there. You know what I think is amazing is that the resilience of people in those circumstances blows me away. Like, it seems like in every person, I, I don't know, I mean, is there certain people that have it or do we all have it, but that when you're faced with incredible hardship, there's something that can rise up and keep you going. Because when I've read through the story, it's like I would be done. Like, I honestly, with that kind of emotional pain and heartache and suffering, for me, oh, yeah. reading through this, last, I would be like, and I'm out. Gone. Yeah. 
and you read this and what a courageous man, what a man of incredible resilience. And you just sort of go, you have to step back and on go, how, how do you do that? How do you keep going and living to, to one day come out of it and tell your story? It's incredible. It was, it was tremendously humbling uh, to, to sit and talk about it. And, and every week, he would tell me something that would absolutely make my jaw drop. You know, he'd some, some horrible thing uh, that had happened to him, and I would be like, wow, how can anybody go through this? Um, you know, and, and, and to beat him now, you know, he doesn't seem like the kind of guy who, who is a super strong and courageous kind of I mean, he's courageous. He, he does a lot of great work in Cambodia still, of course. I was, I was humbled because I was thinking to myself, would I have been able to stand all of that? You know, would I have been able to survive through that? And I'm not sure I could have. I mean, I would like to think that I could have, but I don't even know for sure. Uh, That's one of those things that until you actually go through it, uh, you can never really know, you know, whether or not uh, you have the faith and resilience to actually make it through. So he's, okay, so in the context of this, Radha has, is a Christian, and mm-hmm. he's going through this situation of the Khmer Rouge. A remarkably young Christian. A young Christian going through this, yeah. Into his faith. So his story is about how he survived, is that right, through this. Mm -hmm. And how did he get thrown into all of this? Like, how come he didn't, like, escape or run away? Like, why is he within the center of this and having to go through this? Can you give us a little bit of that (laughs) to tease Uh, us in the story? uh, He he and his family were living in Phnom Penh, uh, when the Khmer Rouge came in and they evacuated everybody. Um, and so, and, and they evacuated them on foot. So they were pushed out into the countryside on foot where they were, where, where they were sent to uh, live in these, in these uh, cooperatives. And so there, there were people that tried to escape, uh, but it wasn't easy to escape. Uh, you know, they would have had to trek through very, very dangerous jungles. Uh, there was a war going on, of course, in, uh, in uh, Vietnam to the, uh, to, the, to the east, you know, and, and Thailand wasn't terribly safe. Uh, terribly a whole lot safer uh, to try and get through there. Uh, the Khmer Rouge, of course, were aware that there were lots of people that didn't want to stay, and so they, they kept close track. Uh, there were landmines and booby traps, you know, all over the jungle, certainly on the uh, Thailand border. Um, so it isn't like you could just kind of pack up your family and walk across the border and be safe. I mean, you were you were stuck there. Uh, if they caught you traveling from town to town without the proper travel papers, you know, you could be sent to prison, tortured, probably executed. Uh, there was an astonishing level of control uh, that would have been terribly intimidating. Mm-hmm. So how do you get stuck in it and how do you, why do you stay through it? Well, he didn't really have much choice. Um, uh, it, it finally ended uh, when the communist Vietnamese, uh, they realized how unstable the country was and uh, Pol Pot had been uh, provoking them on their border. And so finally the, the Vietnamese rolled in in 79 and kicked him out. Uh, and uh, they, well, they, they, they defeated the Khmer Rouge initially, but that just started off another 10-year civil war. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, so he, he was in there because he had to be there and there wasn't any place else to go. Okay. Oh. So we, I want to bring it sort of the story into today. Mm-hmm. So, you know, listeners that are listening, it's a, an interesting story that happened a long time ago. What's the relevance for today? One of the questions that I had that I kind of played with a little bit is, you know, this was a despotic leader who sought to impose his view of reality, his vision for the future on a large mass of people. And is that, would you ever be able to see something like that happening in Canada or the U.S.? That's just a throw-out question, Mm -hmm. but what's the relevance for for us today? 
Right. No, I mean, we are, we are a long way from having a, a communist regime like the Khmer Rouge take over either Canada or the U.S. I mean, right. that, you know, or anywhere in Western Europe. I mean, this is uh, it's highly improbable. But at the same time, there are some of the foundational ideas of who the Khmers were or who the Khmer Rouge were and, and what made them what they were. Uh, we still see some of those ideas today, and they're mm -hmm. tremendously destructive and harmful. Uh, one of the things was that uh, human beings are blank slates, right? And if you if you can apply enough force, you can change human beings into anything that you want them to be, that there is no such thing as human nature. And uh, and that's why they thought they could create this new communist man, you know, who didn't need, he didn't, the, the, the new socialist man didn't need friends, didn't need work that mattered, didn't need family, didn't need faith, didn't need a, you know, free markets, didn't need any of the institutions that we have in our reasonably free society, you know, and, and so Pol Pot thought that he could just wipe all those away and replace them. Mm. Well, it turned out that, no, you can't. Uh, he tried, and he, and he tried to use a lot of force, but in the end, those are the institutions, those are the things that make up human nature, which are important for every reasonably free society to have. Right. And if you try and sweep those things away, uh, it just leads to disaster. Mm -hmm. And so we, we see this a little bit today when people say, well, there are no limits to human nature. You know, people can be whatever they want to be. They can, if they want to change their identity in foundational ways, uh, then uh, then why shouldn't they be able to to do that? Right. Um, but no, I don't think that's true. If we are created beings, if we are created in the image of God, and he has created us in, in certain ways, mm -hmm. and if our society doesn't respect the limits that are mm -hmm. imposed by that creation on, on us as a society, right. uh, we will simply be going down, uh, I, I guess I would say, destructive paths. Yeah, you know, Les, that's, that's a, good, a good thought, because one of the things is, you know, and, and one of the questions you actually had and, and, and sort of posed is, you know, why is it important for us today to remember the killing fields, this story um, from the 1970s? You know, I think it's important. We're always like, let's look ahead. Let's look to the future. But it's always important for us to remember the past, you know, not yeah. live there, but remember it so that we can learn as learn we go about and, and learn our lessons. Yeah. Why is it important yeah. for us today? I mean, you're thinking, and, and I said this earlier in, in the interview, in our conversation, that there has to be something that we need to take from this incredibly, it, honestly, it's horrific moment in our history and learn from it. And so why is it important that we hear this, learn from it, and, and even study and know about this situation? Mm -hmm. Right. And we, we certainly, um, even if we don't actually revert to that kind of a society, you know, uh, even, if, even if we don't, e even if it doesn't, even if a totalitarian government seems like it's a long way off to our to to where we are now, um, we we have to look back and we have to recognize that uh, that harmful ideas and harmful uh, methods of government uh, can 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 come upon us even when we're not quite aware that they're coming upon us. Uh, we have to be able to recognize uh, the signs. Uh, and the, the the things that are happening in our in our society that are leading us down uh, harmful and destructive paths, um, we can you know we can we can I, I think one of the things that really struck me was that many of the observers of the of the Khmer Rouge uh, they were they're they're trying to explain this and they say well you know how could people be so evil you know how you know why were the Khmer Rouge so incredibly evil and I think that that's actually 
the wrong question. I mean, there are, there are some, some good answers for it that, that will account for uh, some of the factors that went into why the Khmer Rouge were what they were, you know, why they, why they, they, they had an ideology, they, there were certain historical circumstances, all of those kinds of things. But when we look at the Khmer Rouge, we also have to see ourselves. The question is not so much uh, how could the Khmer Rouge be so evil, but why aren't we all more like the Khmer Rouge? Why are we not as evil as we possibly could be? Uh, you know, I mean, this is this is a part of our fallen human nature. Um, the the people in Cambodia who did terrible things, and there were perfectly ordinary people. You know, they were they were farmers and they were uh, tradesmen and so on. Uh, the, the the people that joined the Khmer Rouge, many of them did horrible and unspeakable things. Things that they probably wouldn't have considered. You know, maybe five or you know maybe even even two years earlier, right. and yet they 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 did those things. And so we have to recognize that evil uh, uh, is a part of every one of us. And we have to recognize, well, you know, what is it that keeps us from all being like that? And it's, I think it's, it's God's grace. It's uh, you know, working in our, in our lives, in our societies. It's in the institutions of a civil society uh, that, that keep evil from breaking out and spreading from person to person and heart to heart. You know, I mean, we, you look at the, at the Khmer Rouge and there are, and, and if you talk to people who live through it, right, um, uh, they will say that they're, People that they knew, you know, neighbors, you know, friends and so on would end up doing really, you know, unspeakable things. They would mm-hmm. execute other people. They would cut their throats. They would beat them to death with hoe handles. Uh-huh. And after the regime is over, right, in, in, in some sense, they go back to being those normal people, the, the, the people that weren't uh, the, the, the Khmer Rouge who managed to kind of blend back into the population. And you wonder, well, how could that be? Well, if we look at those and say that, no, the, no, the Khmer Rouge were monsters. You know, they were homicidal maniacs. You know, that's got nothing to do with me today. I think that's the wrong attitude. I really do think that we have to consider, uh, you know, what is it in our own hearts uh, that keeps us from being, um, from, from following a path of really deep, dark, and destructive evil? So, Les, a question that I've got is, we can look at this from sort of the, an institutional perspective that we have, like the institutions of civil society put checks and balances around us to, you know, counter that that evil that we find within ourselves. From for your own personal story, how how did this in, impact you? Mm-hmm. How did this how did this impact your faith, your own faith? Where did yeah, it, um, where did it take you? Well, there were there, there were there were two things really that that struck me as I was writing this book. One is is I'm 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 deeply humbled uh, to to look at how people managed, uh, how how Rada, uh, you know, managed to survive all of these horrible things and and to and to ask myself, you know, could I have uh, shown as much faith and courage as 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 Rada did? Uh, it also gave me uh, a little bit of a different perspective uh, on the troubles that we go through in our own society. You know, I mean, uh, you know, we're going through a fairly contentious election down in here, yeah. uh, down, down here in the U.S., and a lot of people are very concerned that, that, it's, that, it's, that it's going to lead to something, to really dire consequences for our society one way or another. Mm-hmm. And obviously, we should be concerned about these things, uh, but we also have to have a little perspective on it. Also have to recognize that God's still on his throne, you know, and the day after the election, uh, we're going to uh, uh, wake up. Uh, and the and the sun will still come up, and God will still be there to provide the grace that we need to accomplish the things that He has called for us to do from day to day. Okay. And so I I look at this. This has given me a profound sense of gratitude hmm. for the society that we that we do live in, and right. for the freedom that I enjoy here. Even if even if um, 
the political situation changes down here and our freedoms are in some sense uh, circumscribed or curtailed, right. uh, we can still uh, think about people like Rada, you know, who, who managed to maintain their faith even in the direst of circumstances. And if yeah. Rada can maintain his faith even in those kinds of circumstances, uh, why can I not maintain mine? Right. Uh, no matter what happens around me. Right. You know, Les, that's why I love stories. And, I, and I'm so right. grateful for your words here and, and the time that you took the past year to listen to Rada and listen to his heart and his story. I love that when we write a story about somebody to sort of help them bring their experiences to life, we, we're changed ourselves. It's a beautiful connection of humanity, right? I'm so grateful too, Les, that you bring to the surface again, the Cambodian killing fields, uh, so that we don't forget what happened in the past and that we can learn in the present and the future. I think that's a profound thing that as I'm listening to you thinking, there is, all, there is that part of us that could do evil. And what are those sort of checks and balances and community and faith that keep us from not and choices? I think that's a good learning too. And I think for anybody listening and watching, you need to pick up this book. This is this is probably not one for um, just light reading, is it, Les? <laughs> uh, it's a story. But it's a story. And, and I think that everybody needs to get this book, this Intended for Evil, a survivor story of Radha, uh, of his story of love, faith, and courage in the Cambodian killing fields. And I think I know that we all can pick this up and learn something about ourselves, about humanity. It has just one interjection is it has a really interesting uh, twist of community, about okay. Christian community and how God brought someone into his life that even though it was only the two of them, they had at least that, that much, much Christian community. So oh, she's doing a little tease teaser. Little teaser Les, she's doing a little teaser. <laughs> good, Karen. That's good. Yeah, because Christian community matters. It does yeah. really matter. So, Les, thank you. And, and just last thought, what's your hope for this this story. What's, what's your hope that when somebody picks this up or listens to the podcast, watches the podcast, what, what do you hope that they'll get out of this? I, I, I would hope uh, that, the, that, that the person can uh, you know, live Rada's story along with them and they can recognize that no matter how deep their own despair is, you know, whatever their own circumstances are, uh, that they have reason to have hope, that they have reason to have faith. Uh, that God is looking after them. And even in the very darkest of dark, 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 dark times, uh, uh, that, uh, that God can still make a way to work through their lives and to, and to bring them to a better place. I mean, there were lots of believers who died under the Khmer Rouge. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's not to say that, that God will make everything work out in the end in this right. life. Yeah. Right. But, he, but he really does have a plan for all of us. And, and I think that Rod's example of courage uh, and, and, and faith uh, is a really humbling but yet hopeful and encouraging story. Mm-hmm. Well, Les Sellers, thank you so much. Thank you, thank and you um, yeah, and uh, please thank Rada yeah. <laughs> for sharing his story with yeah. you, and then to us and to the world. He's, really he's living you. in Cambodia now, is that right, Rada? No, uh, he's he's been living in Seattle for oh. since about uh, the uh, the late eighties. Okay, uh, he's uh, he started off a pastoring commercial churches in the in uh, Seattle, uh, but he but he's still uh, since. Since the early '90s, he's been going back to Cambodia regularly uh, on uh, as a, as a, as a missionary. He's now a full-time missionary, but he divides his time between uh, Seattle and Cambodia. Oh, okay, beautiful. Okay. okay. So, intended yeah, cool. for evil, the story of a young man who loses most of his family in the mind-numbing brutality of the 1975 Cambodian genocide, but clings to hope amidst. 
despair. He eventually comes to the U.S. later to return and share his faith. And so thanks, Les Sillers, for sharing his story with us. Go out and get this book. (laughs) Go out and get this book. Melinda. I'm very grateful to be here. I really appreciate it. All right. Take care. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Your Story with Melinda, an exclusive presentation of FaithStrongToday.com. Listen to past episodes by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes and join the conversation with Faith Strong Today on Facebook.